The following is a production of AW360, Advertising Week's year-round content platform for the advertising and marketing industries. AW360 features thought leadership articles, podcasts, and original video series from the best and the brightest in the industry from all around the world. For more on AW360, visit 360.advertisingweek.com. Welcome to the Sonic Truth Podcast. I'm Scott Simonelli, the CEO and co-founder of Veritonic, the audio effectiveness platform. So uh, my name is Jeff Benjamin. Thank you for having me, Scott. Um, I I started my career. I actually wanted. I didn't want to be in advertising. Uh, I didn't even know about advertising. Um, I was going to be a lawyer, and so I was a poli sci econ major. And um, one summer, I was doing research for a professor. She was writing a book on international relations, um, but she wasn't really paying me enough to justify staying on campus. So I got a job at the auditorium on campus, and they brought in acts like Chubby Checker, modern dance groups, and things like that. So I got a job there running press releases. I was a good writer. And then one day their designer was out, so they gave me the ad to do. And I did it. And I was like, whoa, I did that. Like, I didn't even know I was creative, right? Last thing that I had done that was even remotely artistic was like in eighth grade. And so um, I loved it. And they knew I loved it. So uh, after that, they gave me more and more of these ads to do. And after that summer, I could see myself doing that kind of work all day as opposed to pushing settlements and divorces, which is what I think I would have ended up doing had I gone into advertising. I mean, if I could do anything, even today, if I could do anything, I would be an actor, but just in the lawyer movies, Jeez. right? <clears throat> I'd play anyone, except for Kavanaugh. I would not play Kavanaugh on SNL. Um, <laughs> so after that, I didn't really have a portfolio, right? Didn't want to spend another four years in college, so I dropped out. And I interned um, at a place, strangely enough, back then, this is 97, the top interactive agency in the world happens to be in Westport, Connecticut. And I lived in Connecticut. So, do so I. oh, nice. There you go. <laughs> it's not the top interactive agency in the world anymore. <laughs> uh, so, I got a job there as an intern, and I treated everything I did as something that had to be um, so good that it's got to go in my portfolio, right? It's got to be the best thing that I did. And and I built up my portfolio there. They eventually hired me. I thought it was really good. It turns out it wasn't because to this day I'm still in touch with the guy who hired me. And he tells me stories about how um, his wife, he and his wife both interviewed me at this place. And they were like, yeah, we had this chicken dinner. We still remember it was a chicken dinner. And we were talking about this, you know, this weird kid that came in. And they were like, nobody really wants to hire him, but there's something about him. And uh, over that dinner, they talked themselves into giving me a shot. And so that's when my career began. It was interactive. So I've always been obsessed, I think, since the very beginning about how to get brands to be participants with consumers, with the world, um, help participants, you know, help consumers be participants with the world around them. Um, Cause I think brands can play an important part in that. And so interactive was just, it just lent itself to that. But then as I worked in the industry, I eventually made my way to a place, uh, Crispin Porta Bogusky in Miami and then in Boulder, I spent about 10 years there starting off in interactive, but then eventually being able to apply that interactive philosophy to everything that we did, whether it was TV or 
went to Crispin, um, and uh, it was there that I really realized that interactive could be more than just digital, that it could be the philosophy and approach for the for marketing that uh, brands do in every single medium, whether it was print, TV, certainly activations, and then especially digital. And so uh, I did that for a while and then um, decided it was time to leave Boulder. And, and, I, and I wanted to, I was curious about New York City, right? All my friends were here. There was so much energy. There was so much interesting culture in New York where you have this collision of so many different things happening at once. Right. And I wanted to find out what it would be like to be here and come up with those kinds of ideas. And so uh, I came over, uh, worked at JWT, helped lead that, uh, do a little bit of a resurrection. Um, and that was fascinating, right? Because at Crispin, I had that, that, that moment where I got to be at a place that was small and I got to help make it big. And now JWT, here was a place that was really big. How do we make it act small mm. um, and, and move with agility and come up with the kind of breakthrough ideas that you expect from uh, a, a, a place that works with challenger brands? And so did that for a while. And then, you know, I think like a lot of people a few years ago, uh, wondered what it was like outside of advertising. You know, I've been working in advertising for so long. Uh, what's it like out there? Uh, um, and what would be like to just leave and go to a company and use my skills for something else? And so um, at first I tried starting a place. Um, I was like, how hard could this be? You know, Zuckerberg, just if you can do it, I can do it. And <laughs> I was pretty naive. So that didn't work out. <laughs> and well, what was the, what was the idea? I I went through all sorts of different ideas. Um and and uh nothing felt right. Okay. And I remember I remember going to a soul cycle class and this instructor she was like stop fighting fights you weren't meant to fight. I was like, "Oh my god, is she talking to me?" <laughs> like sometimes in life we start to use muscles. We start using muscles that are either too weak or they're just muscles we don't have. But here's the thing, you don't have to use them. You have other muscles, right, that are really great. Use those. Right. And so I was like, oh my God, I gotta listen to this woman. And so I was like, what can I use my muscles towards? And so that's when I ran into some uh, some people I've been talking to for a while. This guy, this great guy, Henrik, you should have him on your podcast. Okay, um, we'll put him on the, put him on the list. He's a founder of BarkBox. Okay. Uh, Bark and Co. And so they are a startup that um, started off kind of as a birch box, but for dogs. And so I went there. And I mean, that was so much fun applying, you know, marketing ideas, product design, um, ideas for distribution, dog treats, you know, all this kind of are stuff. Are you a dog owner, a pet owner? That was part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that was the fault line through the whole thing. <laughs> You know, I don't even think they know this, but like, oh, no. you know, I like dogs. <laughs> they love dogs. And I kind of faked it for a little while. Like what I come to realize is that like you can spot like somebody who doesn't truly love dogs by the way they pet the dog. So like I would initially kind of just kind of lean over right, right. to pet the dog. Everybody else was like crouching down and getting at the same level as the dog right. and embracing the dog. So, you know, I would do that, too. But, you know, they didn't know that. It wasn't the same. It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't authentic. And then, uh, again, this was like, a, this was a fun, it was like a consulting thing. I just wanted something fun, um, you know, after going through, you know, trying to do my own thing and that not working out. I was like, ah, let's just try something else. 
and have a little bit of fun. So I did this consulting thing. And uh, I remember, like, should I do this full time? Should I not? And there was the, the moment was when, um, when I was so excited. I come into work one day and I'm like, guys, guys, I, I figured out what dog I want. They're like, oh my God, Jeff, this is like a, cause they wanted me to get a dog too. Yeah, have um, to have one. And so we're all so excited. And I mean, I like really excitedly tell them, I was like, you got to see it. You got to see this dog, uh, meet Panda. And then I pull out my phone and I show them this picture of this sheep doodle uh, And I was like, you know, I'm on a one year waiting list. And the disappointment in these people's <laughs> eyes, they're like, Jeff, you can't, you can't get a designer dog. You've got to get a rescue. All right. And that was the moment when I was like, this might not be the right full-time gig. Hmm. Um, and so, and so then I came to Barton <laughs> and, uh, and that's been fun. I've been there for about uh, a year and a half or so. And uh, it's been fun kind of, you know, if earlier in my life I was exploring that notion of moving people from being spectators to being participants, moving brands from being spectators, participants, interactivity and all that. And then, then moving on to sort of an idea of invention, making things, you know, especially at BarkBox, that was so much fun being part of that, that, that invention space. Now I've been exploring what it means to be an entertainer, right? Like how a brand can lean into entertainment, hmm. whether it's, you know, we, we work with brands that are doing stuff in mobile games and, and certainly we try and do work that entertains people, whether that's making them laugh or feel something um, and, and having that convert to people buying stuff. How do you feel like sound plays a role in that? Because I think like obviously with music and movies and everything that entertains, there's always an element of sound, whether it's tap dancing or or somebody singing or or somebody talking in a way that's very entertaining, uh, like an audiobook or something. So where do you feel like, so where's, where does sound live in, in that world for you? Yeah. You know, I think sound for me, and I think of sound a couple of ways, you know, I think there are mnemonics and things like that. I think there's also music, um, regardless of how you classify it. You know, I always sort of call upon sound when I want consumers in the world to feel something right. Um, and, and you especially know this about music, right? Uh, human beings have evolved language, um, simple sentences and things like that into songs and song mm. lyrics when they want people to feel something that's so hard to explain. That's why there are so many love songs, you know, that's why Adele does so well, right? <laughs> like she clearly had some really difficult breakup and it's led to some incredible music, uh, and, and, and music and sound is sort of for me evolved language. It makes you feel something. And for us, when we want people to feel something for a brand, uh, sound is something that helps that. Um, yeah. Do you think it's different today? Like, do you think like if I'm using, like you're back in Boulder however many years ago and you're here today, like and you're a brand and you want to engage a consumer and engage your audience, do you think you would use sound differently? What, what, I guess what's different about it today than then? If anything. Yeah. I think sound, like on one hand, you can say sound has always been around, you know, like even now with radio and stuff like that, right? Like I mean, people still listen to the radio right. and or Spotify and iHeart and all these other things. So sound definitely has a role. You know, for me, an interactive sound was a way of making something come to life. 
back then. Hmm. You know, um, whenever we were making a website or a banner or some sort of interactive experience, um, video game, you know, what have you, uh, sound was a way of making things come alive um, and, and make a, making a brand come alive. Uh, now, it's so fascinating where the opportunities are around today. Right. Because if in the past it was about how do you make something come alive, um, how do you make something feel, somebody feel something, bring meaningfulness to a brand, <clears throat> you're starting to see uh, the beginning of having t- uh, of sound helping to create usefulness, right? Um, I recently uh, set up my house with Alexa. <laughs> so how long, have, how long have you been living with Alexa? It's been a long time since I've touched a light switch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, and it's fascinating. Um, and, and I did it because like I was a little late to the whole voice thing. Right. But, uh, I heard so much about it. And like, if you want to come up with ideas, I think you've got to like be participating in that whole thing, figure out what's good about it, what's bad about it. And one of the most interesting things for me, uh, has been, uh, this sort of observation that, that all of these all of this world of voice, um, you know, Alexa, Google, Siri, etc. We think about it in terms of like literal voice and words and things like that. Right. But the most interesting part for me is the sounds that it makes, actually. So the actual so, functional sounds. Yeah, because if all you're doing is talking, you know, if all Alexa and Siri are doing is talking, there's a lot of jibber jabber, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, Alexa, be quiet. <laughs> right. um, but there's a lot of functionality where you ask it to do something and it'll play like a mnemonic or a sound. And, or, or even when it wakes you up, what does it wake you up with? Right. And I think that's a very interesting opportunity for brands, uh, as we enter into that space where there's, we're entering like sort of an, uh, a space of usefulness for that sound. Right. I mean, that's part of the brand guidelines in some ways. Like we have a, a partner of ours, uh, at Baritonic, who there, it's an agency that focuses solely on functional sounds. Right. Um, we do right. a lot of research on what sound should my headphones make when they turn on or what sound should this door make when it closes? I mean, yeah. do you feel like that's like kind of like part of your brand in a weird way? I don't think people are thinking about that yet. Well, it Could is it part be? of your brand. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You know, I, and I think of it as a, it's an extension of a brand soul, you know, like oftentimes when we're talking about a brand and a brand strategy, we often say, well, it, it begins with the soul. Hmm. And, and, and what we're talking about here is sort of a sonic soul, right? How that, how that product or brand is expressed in its functionality has to be, uh, has to, has to start with, uh, its soul. It's funny cause people, I mean, even today, you know, like, and, and Veritonic has, has existed for, you know, almost four years now. And we're still having those conversations of, you know, everybody knows what their brand guidelines look like in print right. and in color. Um, but there's still not, you know, the same kind of thought and, and rigor put into what my brand sounds like. Yeah. Um, whether it's a voice or a piece of music is starting it there, but it's certainly not at the, when somebody uses my product, what does it yeah. sound like? Yeah. I don't know that that's there yet. Yeah. I mean, do you think that- I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because you, I want to, I want to <laughs> reach into my Sonic bag of surprises right. and pull out the first surprise. All right. That's good. Cause, Cause we've been dying was, to find I out what was in that bag. I knew this was going to come up. I knew this was going to come up. So I brought a page from, uh, so one of our clients is Bullet Bourbon. And, uh, um, I love they've bu- got, the Bullet Rise is one of my favorites. They've got this brand guideline book. Okay. Who knows if I'm allowed to bring this? I brought it anyway. Okay. And this is a page from the book and it's oh, about cool. what Bullet sounds like. Right? Really? 
And so in coming up with that brand strategy, it wasn't just about what does a logo look like? What font do we use? Right. You know, how should the logo be current? Like all that kind of stuff. It's also about, well, what does that soul sound like? What does bullet sound like? What does it right. not sound like? Right. I'm glad um, you chose bullet, by the way. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a user. I, I'd love I'm to read this. Can I read yeah, this? this is great. What does bullet sound like? The playlist link below will give you a sense of the bullet sound, but you'll notice some definite themes emerging as you listen. The songs themselves are somewhat discoverable, not unlike Bullet itself, meaning that they're slightly off the beaten top 40 path <clears throat> and are rooted in honesty, grit, and pure artistry. I mean, that's the brand strategy, right? You may recognize the artist, but the song might be new to you. The playlist contains a number of guitar-forward blues rock songs with strong riffs featuring current and class classic artists such as the Black Keys, Jack White, Album Shakes, Arctic Monkeys, the Rolling Stones, Cream, and Jimi Hendrix. The list also includes many timeless American Heartland and Southern blues tracks featuring Gary Clark Jr., Kanye West, not Kanye West, <laughs> Kenny Wayne Shepard, and Jeff. <laughs> the bullet people are like, what is he doing to our brand? We have to overdub that. There's a definitive American blues influence throughout the catalog, which plays well with the history and origins of bourbon. The honesty, grit, and artistry play well with the Bullet brand. And I also wanted to bring this because, so I recently started working on this okay. brand, right? Cool. It was something that somebody else was working on, and, and they left, and now I've been working on it. And I was trying to get a handle on just what's this brand all about. And I always think of, like, what's the voice of the brand, right? You know, what's the spirit of it? And I was looking at all this stuff, trying to wrap my head around it. And it wasn't until I got to this page that I really understood it. And that's kind of fascinating, right? That for me, my understanding of the brand came from when I understood the brand sounded like. Um, usually you think, oh, maybe this sounds the afterthought or something like that. For me, it was the way into it. It was a catalyst. It really gave you the most kind of direct way to, to tap into the emotional yeah. piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Because you read that and you're like, I, I understand what it feels like, the right. grit, the simplicity. Yeah. And if you um, know that music, I mean, you know, and, and I'm being a guitar player, I know everybody yeah, out there. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's. It and it's it. interesting. We were doing a project with them and um, it involved, uh, we tattooed bottles, right? And so we wanted to create some videos that showed, you know, the, the, the these designs, these animations of these, these uh, tattoos getting you know, put onto the bottle because they all have stories. And so um, we were looking at scripts and things and then they, they even showed me some some tracks and stuff and they were off. You know, I, I think the teams right. didn't have the benefit of having, you know, read that and stuff. But, um, you know, one thing we talked about is, you know, what if instead of, you know, licensing this, you know, random, you know, uns, uns, uns sort of music, which is so not bullet. Right. What if we, what if we thought about what, the, the, if, if we used the tattoo gun as sort of the main instrument and then asked ourselves, what would the tattoo gun, what, what song would it like to make, you know, lead with that thought. And, and that's how we created our tracks for it. And that led to the story, you know, that we visually told. Um, and so that, that's a great example of how, you know, this tattoo gun, the sound of that, that, you know. Is that, that, that used in the ads in any way? Yeah, that how that led to the, the actual story. Si sound yeah. of the tattoo yeah. gun. It's the main instrument in really? the track. It, it is. Yeah. Wow. I, mean, I have no tattoos. I yeah. Know, so I have no idea. You got the, the right gun. guy at this podcast today. <laughs> I drink bullet rye. Yeah. I have no. I have no. I don't know what a tattoo gun sounds like off the top of my head, but I was imagine. Yeah. Given the. I kind of, of made a sprinkler sound just now. 
<laughs> but that's because my voice is higher gun? pitched. You don't have one in the bag, though? No, can, that's not in the bag of surprises. I have some other things in the bag of Sonic Surprises. Sound and music is a huge part of that brand. Yeah, I wonder, um, we're, we're doing yeah. something now that'll launch at the end of the year that I'm really excited about. We're all really excited about it. And music plays an important part of that in a very, very unexpected way. Yeah, I'd be curious to see the association of the of the tattoo gun, like sound design, in a, from an audio branding yeah. standpoint, and yeah. it's like, um, does that get associated with bullet if it's if someone's heard it before? Because um, one of the things we look at a lot is like yeah. recall of like things that might seem may seem like to your point about right. dings and dongs right. and functional sounds. Right. Like an audio logo um, typically has a melodic piece to it. Yeah. Um, but it can be anything. I mean, you know, if you, there's a lot of brands that have audio logos that aren't necessarily musical. Right. Um, and that'd be you know, it's it's interesting. I'd be curious to find out like if you've used that in campaigns. If people have been exposed to the campaigns, like what the what the recall would be of like, does this remind you of Bullet in any way? Yeah. Um, or you hear a ta- tattoo yeah. gun. I don't. Well, I mean, we would have to do research to find it out, but that's I'd be curious to, to learn that. I, with this example, though, I think it's not just the tattoo. It's the it's the song the tattoo gun wants to tell. Right. 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 And so it's the other sounds that go along with along it. Along with it. Right. Right. That make it iconic. Got it. And what else is iconic is that we are leading with that sound, if that makes any sense. You know, um, you know, when Rick Rubin got hold of Johnny Cash, Johnny Cash had a lot of different albums, but he had never sung like that before. And that was iconic. Um, you know, those last few recordings. So cool. So what else is what else is in this bag now that you've opened up the bag? I brought some Sonic surprises. These are all potential uh, sonic sounds for ourselves. Okay. And <laughs> I, so you could, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know why I where brought did, these. Where did you find these? It was in, at an Asian antique store. Okay. So the viewers can, uh, here's a horn. <laughs> Here, here's quirky better. Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, this is a little more. Natural jazz. Yeah, these are these are art as well. This is visual art. Yeah, this is it's really but all those sounds interesting. This is maybe That's a nice shake. Worldly, worldly Jeff. This is my favorite because this okay. is innovative Jeff. So this we Looks didn't like even know what this does. <laughs> what ah. is that it makes thunder? That's pretty cool. But isn't this interesting, these sounds that we've just never heard before? Yeah. Right? I, that, like how old do you think this is? They were doing Sonic branding, branding yeah. way back when. Yeah. What, what is the tail on that thing? Is it doing it's any, like some sort of... in any way? Or it's just part of the... Um, well, no. This is what makes the sound. Oh, that's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Oh, it's a spring. Yeah. It looked like a string from a... Yeah. Oh, you're pretty good wow. at that. <laughs> it's like a shake weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I'm sure there's like somebody who knows what that's called. Well, there's a label on it that says thunder. <laughs> 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 we have to figure out like the uh, translation. I first. don't think the yeah. Indian tribes called it thunder, but. Yeah. How much do you think voice plays a role in 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 all this? I'm such a big. I mean that in some ways even it's an easier connection for consumers than a song, you know, or three notes is is the voice of the brand. Right. You know, like who is it? Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Um, is it a woman? Is it a robot? Um, you know, back in the day we thought of it as, well, who are we going to pick for the voiceover? Right. Right. A lot of times it's the account person. I'm sure you've seen this where it's like somebody did the voiceover as like a, 
just to fill in a yeah. voice there, and then people get used to it. Like what we you call can make a lot love. of money yeah. doing that little shtick, and then like and all of a sudden, well, we got <laughs> used to the sound of that person's voice, and now it sounds weird without them, even though they might be terrible. Yeah, yeah. but you feel it matters immensely. It does, yeah. it does, and I actually think that it's an opportunity. It's a marketing opportunity mm-hmm. for a brand. So two examples. One, um, at one point, I worked on Kraft Mac and Cheese. Okay, and we were looking for. Um, I thought you were laughing just now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> didn't you think that <laughs> not too? yet? We haven't made you laugh. Not once. But, you know, we worked on Kraft Mac and cheese. We had some, uh, some spots and we were looking for the VO at the end. Right. And, um, a team had found, so this is when there was a guy, Ted Williams, I think was his name. Uh, he was homeless and somebody had passed by him and videotaped him, uh, and put it on YouTube and you heard his voice and he became known as the man with the golden voice. It was magical. I, I remember, yeah, I vaguely remember it was just, that. It's yeah. just an incredible voice. He was gifted, um, and and we said, let's make him the voice for the brand. And uh, and Ted Williams became the voice for Kraft Mac and Cheese. Really, the man with the golden voice. And you heard it, and it, it wasn't that it was just a great voice. It was Kraft Mac and Cheese. Hmm. You felt you felt that bowl of mac and cheese. When you heard this voice, um, it was it was incredible, and so that that action of let's let's make him our our brand ambassador, right? The voice for this brand, that was more than just you know let's pick a voice, right, you right. know, out of a bunch of t- that was that was advertising and marketing, and it was it was an action, it was a behavior. It's like Kraft Mac and Cheese. This is what we would do. We would hire someone like this, um, and his life changed um, because he got to be part of that brand. And do you feel like um, it improved the campaign? I mean, yeah, sad. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I think that's one example. Another example uh, we have um, back at the home base at Barton, um, Snyder's Lance uh, Pretzels mm-hmm. is is a brand, and uh, we had a campaign. And there came time to like we were we were trying to figure out who would play the spokesperson. In our head, we always had this like, okay, we, this brand is it's the tough guy. That's who the, the spokesperson is going to be. And you immediately think of like, you know, Clint Eastwood, like Dirty Harry, um, you know, Bruce Willis, etc. And we said, well, wouldn't it be interesting if our vision of toughness wasn't a guy, right? Well, you know, what, if, what if it was this suburban soccer mom? <laughs> right, right. Who's just tough. You know, you know, <laughs> you know, you right. got that. And yeah. so that's what we did. We, the, the, the voice of the brand uh was this no nonsense woman um in in picking her as the voice of the brand was just as important as the spots themselves um and so that's how important you know that voice is and look it's going to get even more important now that we're entering this voice economy where you know we're literally talking to you know our car and our lights and it's talking back to us right um what does that voice sound like right no, and if, if that ad is on a smart speaker, on your Alexa speaker, you know, or it's in that environment where you're listening to a podcast, yeah. um, you know, that, that voice that you may have in, in your TV spot kind of needs to translate across there um, yeah. or, or uh, you know, mobile or wherever. Whereas I think before that might not have been as much of a consideration uh, yeah. in the past. You know, before I ever really thought about like what's literally the voice of a brand, we would talk a lot about what's the voice of the brand. And we thought of it in terms of spirit. Right, just the so, whole yeah. So for voice, Burger King, right? Specifically, the voice. Yeah, and and I love thinking about this way for brands, right? Um, I just never, I never considered literally it would be the voice, right? Um, but you know, one of the things I learned um, at Crispin was 
on Burger King, we always said the voice of that brand was the cool uncle, mm. right? And we we thought to ourselves, it was a great shorthand because we could say, oh, what would the cool uncle do? What would right. he say? Um, what wouldn't he do? And it ended up become a filter that filtered out bad work, made work better. Right. Uh, but it's very interesting to literally think, okay, what does the but, yeah, cool what, uncle what does sound, sound like? like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and make that part of the brand. And so this whole thought of leading with voice, starting with voice, it's so important when you think about a strategy and then what it can lead to. It's not just what's the what's the brand going to sound like. Right. It's what's the brand going to be? Right, right. What's it going to do? Right. And we found, I mean, we see it in our research uh, a lot, which is, which is the voice can be much more innate in, in some ways than music. Right. right. I mean, just because like there's certainly music can be very polarizing. We might be the same age and live in the same town or literally sitting in the car next to each other and like very different music. Yeah. Um, we've also seen with voice even more so. Yeah. Right? Like, like you might think somebody sounds like a, a strong, you know, soccer mom or whatever. Right. And I might think it sounds like my crazy aunt, you know? Yeah. And so like, you know, and that's where um, that stuff can vary by demographic information, geography, or just like, you know, what your, what your crazy aunt sounds like, yeah. you know, and I might have a really singular opinion of that. Whereas like the rest of the country think it sounds like a soccer mom and I, and, and I might feel differently when you're oh, getting, interesting. when you're getting those decisions, um, how, how many fights start is more, you know, with voice and music, yeah. you, do you get more with voice and music than you do with the visuals sometimes? Well, or they're just fights on, everything? you know, the voice <laughs> one I haven't encountered, but, right. but the, the music one certainly, and that's always a weird conversation to have with a client. Between, between you some, and the client yeah, versus it's internally. Some, I mean, you know, for the most part, I kind of run it. <laughs> so, no the, one's messing with your theory, creative yeah, vision. You just get out of my In theory, life. there's <laughs> there's never a fight. There shouldn't be a fight, but obviously oftentimes there is. Right. Um, well, let's, actually, so take a, take, a, take a break there. So give, give me – you don't have to name names. These are always great. We always find that the music – Fights are always very funny. Um, so g- give me your biggest music fight story or, or audio fight story. Yeah. So the, I mean, this was with a client. I'm not going to name any names. Yeah, don't name any names. But we were very excited about this track. It, conceptually, it was what made the thing great. And personally, I kind of liked the song. Right, right. You're, you're, and, you're digging the song. And, and this <laughs> is the problem with these musical conversations with clients, where it at a certain point starts to come down to taste. Right, right. And you kind of take it personally. <laughs> And when a person gives feedback too, they don't know how to articulate proper feedback around a song right, or right. music. It's something you feel. It's it just abstract, doesn't, doesn't feel right. You know? yeah. And so you immediately, you know, start using words that sound like you're taking jabs at my musical style and <laughs> right, me. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, like Jack, I don't like that shirt you're wearing. <laughs> right, right. You're very um, personal. Yeah, you take it personally, right, and so right. it's a very difficult conversation to have. And so, um, so you had a track you were totally in love with. You're listening to this yeah. thing all the time on your own. Yeah. You bring it to the table. And- yeah. And, you know, he's like, no, he hated it. <laughs> um, you know, and he's made me feel sad. <laughs> and now here's the next part. While everyone doesn't think they're great at marketing, right? You know, we'll leave it to the experts. Right, right. Everyone seems to think they're musical. Exactly. Well, everyone, he was like, yeah. could I come into the studio? You know, I used to play drums. <laughs> And like, this is just, I like, I've, I've seen right, this right. show before and this is not going to go well. Right, right. And so, you know, he was like, yeah, I used to play in some jazz bands and stuff. And like, right. you know, let's just let them do it. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. a music expert. Yeah. For sure. Not yeah. everybody's an advertising or marketing expert. Or whatever. Yeah. Certainly everybody's a music yeah. expert. I mean, we've been listening to it our whole lives in theory, right? Yeah. So we feel like we know what we're talking about. And so, you know, we made the track. It wasn't terrible. Um, the first one was better. 
Um, but he loved it. You know, he had to have a hand in it. He had a hand in it. And, you know, who am I to say? Like, the track that, you know, we worked on together, he felt something, right? right? And ultimately, that's what music's supposed to do. My personal opinion, for what it's worth, is like the internet is a great sandbox for research because the audience is built into it. Yeah. Right. You, whatever you create online is going to get interacted with and it's going to be very measurable as yeah. to whether somebody's clicking on that or not clicking on that yeah. or spending time there or not. And with audio, you don't have that luxury, right? You know, it's just kind of out there in the air. And you can see how people are using or buying based on hearing an ad. But like, yeah. ultimately what you want to know, and I kind of think of the analogy, like if you're on stage and you're performing, yeah. um, you're going to respond to what the audience is doing. Yeah. But if I'm playing something and the audience is going crazy, then you're going to keep doing it. Um, yeah. or you're going to build on that and riff on that. Whereas if you feel like the audience is dead, you might try to get them back into it yeah. or whatever. And I think, I think good research around sound ultimately um, tries to do that, right? It tries yeah. to give you as the creator or the brand a window into how the audience is responding to what they're hearing. Yeah. Um, and, and what that, what you do with that information should influence how you behave, right? Yeah. Like you might do something differently um, with with what, what things sound like based on how the audience is responding to what they hear. Absolutely. Um, and that's yeah. ultimately what good research does, not just for, for audio, but yeah. in any world, is just to give you some some window into to the mind of your of your audience. Yeah. Well, you know, a great sound strategy isn't just about singing and playing sounds. It's also about listening. Yeah. You know, listening comes along with voice and sound. Hmm. Two ears, um, one mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a great point. Yeah. I also think, too, though, you know, commitment is a big part of it, right? Yeah. It sounds like you've been on stage and stuff, and at a certain point, you do want to listen to your audience, but you also just you got to commit. Yeah, rock gotta, stars commit. You got to trust. They it. play anyway, and they right. just trust themselves and they go for it. Right, right. And and that commitment is also what engages an audience. Right. Um. And then and then they sort of want to be a yeah. part of it too. Yeah. No. And I think like certain brands, like you look at Bullet, for example. Um, like, am I more likely or less likely to 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 have that next bullet rye right knowing like but you know when i think about jack white or the black keys yeah. or the rolling stones or cream or whatever that you mentioned there yeah like yeah that does sound like that to me and, yeah. and, I, and now like i'm sitting here thinking like oh, i could listen to that one of those records and but if i heard jack white's voice in a bullet ad it would feel really appropriate to me yeah because um, i do yeah. listen to that and i do like that and so like you know those things are connected yeah um, and that that hopefully helps advance the brand and i think when yeah. you can connect those two um if you knew that um, and had some information around like, well, people like that, like these things, um, then you can start to, maybe you spend more money on Jack White or whatever <clears> and that kind of stuff. And so there's a balance, um, yeah. you know, and it is advertising, you know, and it is art. Yeah. Um, so it's like finding that, that balance. So, um, yeah. well, cool. So nothing else in the bag, nothing else in there. The bag is empty. <laughs> um, I, I brought out all my surprises. Good. Um, well, that's. I mean, I wish, yeah. you know, I don't know. There's not this a bottle right. of bullet rye in there? There's no bottle of bullet <laughs> rye for you guys. Um, sorry. That's all right. We'll have, to, uh, we'll have to work on that. All right. Well, cool. Well, it's great to meet you. And it's it's always nice to, to get to know somebody yeah. who's doing some really interesting stuff. So Thanks awesome. A lot. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Listening to a podcast production of AW360, the year-round content destination from Advertising Week. 
Visit AW360 at 360.advertisingweek.com and be sure to check out the other AW360 podcasts now available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Producers on this podcast are Richard Larson and Jack Hirschman with music provided by Audio Network. For more information on Advertising Week, the world's largest gathering of advertising, marketing, and technology leaders, now in five markets around the globe, visit www.advertisingweek.com. Mm-hmm.